Hey everyone, it's Cole from the Fast Performance Baseball Podcast. Unfortunately, this week we don't have a new guest, so we're to fill in the time. I'm going to go over some Q and A's that I've gotten on Instagram, on Twitter, and we'll just have a nice little Q and A session. If you guys have any questions uh, for later Q and A's, drop them down there in the comments below, or you can find us on Instagram or on uh, Twitter for more things like that. So the first question we'll go into is um, from was here on Inst- I found on Instagram sorry for my speech uh, when it comes to developing different pitches what are some strategies that you employ to help pitchers refine their repertoire and master their new offerings so one of the biggest things that I find new for new athletes when they're trying to learn new pitches is they need to throw them very very often right they don't throw them nearly as much as they should they don't play with them in catch play or in long toss or they do some kind of a short box bullpen type of scenario where, you know, you have to, in order to get really good at throwing your pitch, you have to throw it often. The more often, the better, right? It's that, um, you know, Malcolm Gladwell, 10,000 hours old, like the more time you spend working on that sort of a pitch on the field or where you want to command it, the better you're only going to get at it. And that's what I feel most guys need to work on more when they're learning brand new pitches is you experiment with it, have fun, just put yourself in a scenario where you have to train yourself and force yourself to get comfortable with a new pitch. Um, on the other hand, well, some of the things we employ is, you know, we utilize our track band for guys who already train here and know what the type type of technologies that we utilize here. So that way we can figure out what pitches are good, what pitches are not as good. How do they fit in with, you know, within the grander context of your entire arsenal with your fastballs, your changeups, your off speeds, whatever that might be. Um, and by utilizing that technology, we can see, you know, how is it spinning? What's the spin rate on it? What's our spin direction? What's Are we taking away velocity? Are we adding velocity that we don't necessarily need? So we have kind of rather this dummy-proof way of understanding our arsenal and whether we need to or do not need to add new pitches. So for guys like, you know, I have a couple kids who are more down here at the side, throwing sidearm, who are really good at generating a lot of con- like low contact, soft contact down on the floor, down on the grounds, you know, really running fastballs with really running sliders, you know. So what, what would we do is, you know, maybe we develop a cutter for them because a changeup is kind of tough for them because they, unless they're going to develop a changeup that has, you know, a crazy amount of depth, almost like negative depth, like a, like a cut, like a curveball would. Um, so that's something we would utilize on the track, man. Like how would that, how would that pitch fit in with that athlete's particular arsenal? Um, other strategies that we use to define, to, uh, sorry, um, employ in, in define that repertoire is we just do things like, you know, we have some queen fuegos here in the facility that I don't use as much as I probably should, but I, I like the technology. I like the tool. And that's something that we utilize that we can utilize for helping guys improve the pitch and make it a worthwhile um, addition to their arsenal. Um, next question: When it comes to key mechanical adjustments or drills, what are sorry? What are some key mechanical adjustments or drills that you found effective in helping pitchers improve their command or control? Uh, to me. I don't think command and control is necessary. There's there there are obvious mechanical problems that we will see for guys who um, suffer from command or control issues, and we would address those things. A lot of times, it's 
you know, how are they striding down towards the mound? Are they, um, you know, closing themselves too often? Like if you're a right-handed pitcher and you're maybe your stride is more towards third base dugout or it's more towards the first base dugout, you're like you're fl- having to fly open or you're almost too closed off that you can't get over your front side. Um, another thing in this usually will, I usually see this often with the guys who maybe swing open their front leg when they're down the mound is they fly open too often where their shoulder, where their front shoulder will fly out before arm for before uh, front foot strike. Sorry. And then their arms kind of cast. And I know guys who aren't listening to this are watching the YouTube, the YouTube, you see this where they cast that arm, you know, and then that ball will tend have a tendency to f- shoot out towards your arm side. You know, you maybe hit some hitters or you throw it to the backstop to the, to your arm side. Uh, those are the two biggest things I'd say is, you know, how well can you keep that front shoulder in and, you know, what direction is it that you stride in? You know, you're, you know, it's kind of an older saying, but like basically where you, you know, you, you throw in the direction that you stride towards. Right. And, you know, biggest thing is if you can keep that front shoulder closed as long as you can and stride in the right direction, more often than not, your command and your control will be a lot better. And then after that, I think it's totally a mental thing more than anything else where guys are unable to command their balls because they don't, you know, it's what they, they don't focus on whatever their target may or may not be. You know, are they focusing on focal points? Are they focusing on just hitting the glove? Are they, or are they like working on, you know, what, you know, what are we trying? Like when I'm trying to throw this pitch, what's, what am I trying to accomplish? You know, am I trying to hit it to a specific point? Am I trying to throw it to a specific spot? And how, how aggressive am I in throwing that pitch? Right. That's the biggest thing to me is just how guys attack the strike zone and how guys can attack their command. Once you fix the mechanical issues, then it all becomes to me, at least it's all a mental thing. Um, our next question was on from Twitter is, when working with pitchers, what mental skills and strategies do you emphasize to help them focus, handle pressure, and bounce back from adversity? I think the mental mental skills and strategy is kind of like our it's the untapped uh, area we've not gone into, at least for me as a pitch as a pitching trainer, where you know this is something I have not focused on in the past as much as I probably should because I know there's something that a lot of guys struggle with. Um, they just, they can't deal with the mental side. It's, you know, how can I, you know, we have this performance anxiety. How can we sit, you know, how can I sit on the field and perform at my highest when, you know, maybe there's so much at stake. Like now, right now it's, as we're recording this, it's um what, May 14th, like the playoffs are getting ready to start in Colorado high school baseball, you know, depending on the level, I think the, uh, Rocky Mountain Athletic Conference, the Division Two Baseball Conference, they just finished up the, the um, uh, conference postseason. So Colorado Mesa, I think, believe just won that. We're getting into these kind of high, high stakes, uh, high stakes point in the year, especially for the amateur levels, where you know things mean stuff and or <laughs> things mean something, right? Every pitch kind of can one pitch can turn a game on a dime, and we don't. You know, how can you as a pitcher sit there and go like, all right, how can I be ready to be ready and be capable of performing at this highest possible level and do all the things that I've trained for? You know, I think the biggest thing with mental skills and strategies 
for young pitchers and for all, basically all pitchers is, you know, you know, what they say is like confidence is basically born out of your ability to prepare, right? If you, if you are prepared to perform and you're prepared to compete at a high level, you know, the confidence should be there, right? You know, I've talked to uh, some really good strength, uh, mental skills coaches. Um, Stephanie uh, is one we use here fast. And I have a couple, another girl who, whose name is Stephanie I used to work with who now works for the Mariners. You know, that's one of the things is, you know, how can you, are you, are you sure that you've prepared for the moment that is coming your way? Are you prepared for the high stakes scenario where, you know, you've got to get the game winning run, the game time runs on second base and you've got no outs? You know, are you mentally prepared or mentally able to compete in that high stakes scenario? And, you know, that should all go into how well you prepared in the off season, how well you prepared in between games, how well, how well you prepared before the game. Right. So a lot of, I think a lot of the mental skills stuff comes from just your ability to prepare for that, those sorts of things and be able to just know I can do this. And I am, I have the ability to compete and you have to be able to trust yourself. Right. And I think that's where, you know, things like visualization help is how often are you doing those mental reps um, as we go through the season? You know, how, how often are you like, you know, you, all you gotta do is just sit there for 10 minutes. Like, how, you know, close your eyes and find a quiet place and like, just give yourself mental preparation for a guy on second, the game tying run on second base in the bottom of the seventh inning or the top of the seventh inning, you're the home team, right? You know, you know, you got, you got to be able to find a way to mentally put yourself in those positions where, you know, stakes are going to be high. And the more you do that, the more comfortable you're going to be in those scenarios. Um, Next question. Ooh, this is a good one. This next question came from, also came on Twitter. It says, what are some key skills and attributes that you believe are important for young players to develop to succeed in baseball? Early Biggest things I always see with guys for wanting to develop ski, ski, yeah, key skills and attributes is they just need to learn how to throw hard and not really care, right? Uh, the biggest thing for me as a trainer and what, like the biggest pet peeve I have when I get new students in is usually guys who have always kind of focused on throwing strikes and, you, you know, the strikes are more important than anything else, which don't get me wrong. They are important. And I, and I want guys to throw strikes, but it comes at a cost, uh, at the cost of throwing hard and throwing with some intent, right? You know, for guys who I have come in, I'm far more, I like the guys who throw throw the ball hard without a care of learning, knowing where it's going to go, because those are the kids that are easier to deal with, or it's easier to bring a kid, you know, who throws hard and bring him down for a little bit of extra command versus a kid who doesn't know how to throw hard, not, doesn't know how to throw with a shit ton of intent, but throws strikes and try to bring him up to that extra level, right? Because they've just ne they're never been comfortable with that going reaching that extra gear, right? So one of the things I always try to train guys on, especially the youth level is just, just throw hard. Right. And especially at the younger levels where I think coaches and parents need to teach their, teach the kids, just have fun with it. Right. And it's like, these games don't mean anything. Don't, you know, when you're nine years old, 10 years old, 11 years old, eight years old, you know, whatever level, like before high school, a lot of, you know, that stuff just doesn't matter. You need to teach kids how to enjoy the game, enjoy being around, 
you know, their teammates and have fun and being able to experiment, swing the ball hard, swing the bat hard or throw the ball hard, swing the bat hard, excuse me. And, you know, just let learn how to let kids just kind of be kids and have fun with it. Right. But we put too much emphasis on, you know, throw strikes, get the ball in play. And, you know, that way we can win these trophies. What that will mean absolutely nothing within the next year. Right. One of the things I think is a, I forgot was a good, um, good marker is Devin Morgan is a good example. He's the, um, youth academy director at driveline, you know, driveline baseball up in Seattle. And, you know, for their youth program, they talk often about the skills that scale. Right. So for on the pitching side, you know, what are the skills that will always scale is how, well, how hard can you throw the ball? How well can you command the ball? And can you throw, you know, you know, good, you know, above average off-speed pitches, right? You know, that's not the exact list, but it's par- kind of like paraphrasing it. But one of the things that will I tell guys all the time is like sk- the skill that will scale more most in pitching is can you throw harder than everybody else at, at your level, right? When you reach that, when, you know, when you reach that level where you've started kind of petering out and you're average for your level, then those are the kids that fall behind. But the kids that can learn how to throw hard and learn how to control that velocity are the kids that are going to, will scale up and up and up as the level progresses. Um, so that's what I would always say is just, you know, learn how to learn how to throw hard and learn how to, if you can control it, control it. Right. But don't sacrifice velocity for the sake of control. Uh, the next one we got came from, um, Twitter. Where did it go? Oh, this, this may be, this will be my lead, lead, lead on to, to, and this will just be a quick podcast. So you guys can go on with the rest of your week is, uh, what are some key considerations and when transitioning players from one level of baseball to the next, such as moving, uh, from high school to college and from the minors to the majors, while I can't necessarily, <laughs> uh, speak on the minors to the majors aspect from it, but I think, you know, the level, you know, the common themes will always stand out between youth baseball, the high school baseball, high school baseball, the college baseball, and then college baseball, the professional baseball is you've, it kind of goes back to that Brandon Bailey podcast where you've got to remember that there are always people that are going to be better than you. And I think an easy way to transition between those levels is you've got to hold yourself to a higher and higher standard, the higher, the higher, the level you go, right. You know, you can get away with a lot of stuff at that 13 U level when kids are not fully developed and they're not, you know, most kids haven't hit puberty, right? You can get away with that kind of stuff. If you're, you go around and you're just a week, you're a weekend warrior baseball player who doesn't do a whole lot during the week, or you go, you know, to the batting cage just once a week, something like that. You can get away with that kind of stuff. You know, then you get into high school, then the level obviously progresses. Players get a lot better. Kids get a lot stronger you got to hold yourself to a higher standard of than the right than the average high school player, right? You're getting, you know, diving into your sleep. You're making sure your nutrition's on point, you're training, you're doing, you know, like I said earlier in the podcast, like with your learning new pitches, you're constantly experimenting with that kind of stuff. Right. Then, you know, you get to college and college is taking the best of all the high school players. Right. So you've, once again, you've got to learn to lock in, on things that the average college baseball player doesn't lock in on so much, you know, and you know, I can't say for every college player, but a lot of college players like to party and they like to, you know, when you get into college, you start drinking a little bit more. If you have, 
hopefully you didn't do that in high school, but you know, parties become a lot more big, bigger thing. And you know, school is hard, but it's not that hard. It's not much harder than high school. I'll tell you that now. And you know, it's locking in on, you know, the mental skills aspect is how off, how confident can you be with the skills that you have? How much are you going to push yourself to be better than the 99% of, you know, college baseball players, right? Moving on into professional baseball is the exact same thing is take your, the minor leagues is taking the best of all the college baseball players, right? You know, where do you lock in? Where do you lock in and what separates yourself from every other professional baseball player, you know, through the minors, you know, from single A to double A to triple A, all the way to the majors. You think about how much, you know, it starts at that big, that pyramid, right? Where everyone plays baseball and then it slowly, you know, you know, squeezes and closes in at the top. And that's where you get the, you know, the best players are always in the big leagues, right? So, you know, how are you able to hold yourself to a higher standard than what the average player at your level would be, right? Um, I think that's the big, that's the biggest key, right? Is hold yourself to a higher standard than everybody else. Lock in your nutrition, lock in the sleep, lock in the recovery, lock in the, you know, preparation, lock in the, you know, just taking care of your body and your ability to recover, right? Those are all the things that the better you get at those things and you get better at them than everybody else, you're going to be the one that puts himself in a position to succeed more than everybody else. Uh, Oh, we got we got one we got time for one more. We can do one more here. Um, let me see what we got. And we'll we'll end on a fun one. And one more. Okay. So, what is the most memorable baseball game you've ever attended, and what made it so special? Ooh. Yeah, I'll skip that one. I can't think of one. Uh, <laughs> you get, um, ooh, okay. We'll f- finish on this one. What do you think is the biggest challenge facing Major League Baseball today, and how would you address it? I think the biggest challenge in Major League Baseball right now is what they're trying to alleviate with the things like the pitch clock and getting rid of the shift and getting rid of you know expanding the bases and. Um, uh, all the all the new rule changes essentially what we're doing in baseball is I think they're trying their number one challenge right now is trying to captivate an audience that is not diehard baseball fans and I think the prop the issue that they'll run into is I is the issue they'll run into is I think there's a there's a small or a, a good sized I want to say small a good sized fandom around the country that is still very, very heavily invested in baseball. You see it on Twitter all the time on Instagram. The people who, the people who like baseball will watch baseball. The people that will watch baseball casually, which I think is who MLB is kind of trying to, they're trying to target is the more casual fan. It's, you know, they want more and more people and I get it. And I think, and I don't know how to describe this, but they're trying to bring them back into a fold that they've lost, right? Because whether they say baseball's boring or you know things don't you know don't work out the rate they did do, you know, I think it's like an old it's an old um, saying. I don't know it's that's not that old, but it's not a saying, but it's a it's an analogy where you know when an average when an average fan watches the NBA, right? They'll watch LeBron James, they'll watch Stephen Curry, you know, 
whether the Warriors or the Lakers win, LeBron or Curry, you're typically going to have a good game. You can expect them to score at least 20 points and have five rebounds, have six assists, whatever the number might be. You can expect them to have that kind of a number, right? But when you go to watch, say, Otani, Shohei Otani or Mike Trout, right? You know, the, here, are the, here are my, the two best players in Major League Baseball, right? And then they maybe both go 0 for 3 and one has a walk and, you know, Trout strikes out three times or whatever. If you're the casual fan, you go like, well, what's so great about those players, right? But if they don't follow baseball as closely as maybe you or the people listening to this podcast would, would and understand those key aspects. And, it's not a problem that's solely exclusive to baseball. I think, you know, the problem with ba- for baseball is that there's so it's it's not a, it's a not a bad problem, but it's like there's so many games, right? So you can kind of if you're a baseball fan, you can tune out for a month in the middle of May, right? Cuz May these May games they'll matter maybe down the line, but in the, at the time they're like, okay, you know, what's their level of importance, right? It's the same thing in the NBA where, you know, January or like the Jan- December, January games don't really matter a whole lot because what really ultimately matters is can you make it to the postseason? You know, that's why I think the NFL has such a stranglehold on the sports culture is because it's, I mean, you've all, they own Sundays, right? Sundays in the fall. Now they're taking over Thursdays and they got Monday as well, but there's fewer games, right? And there, if it's all kind of centralized around a central day, centralized around a specific date, more people are going to be inclined to watch that. Right. Especially if it's on a weekend. Um, and I, it's not a problem. And like I said, this is not a challenge that is exclusive to baseball. I think it's exclusive to it's happening. It's happening just all over entertainment, right? Happening with movies, happening with TV, happening with, um, all, all the sports, you know, is there's so much, content out there right now there's so much there's so many things to watch there's so many movies there's so many tv shows there's so many sports right that are more easily accessible so it's you know i think mlb is they're trying to alleviate a problem that's going to be just kind of inevitable or there's a there's a certain inevitableness that you you can fix the problem all you want but the problem is persistent everywhere and you know, you can fix these key things or you can fix tweak one or two things, but I think ultimately the problem's still gonna largely progress down the line where le- less and less people watch baseball on a national level. Well, I'll make sure to stipulate that, right? Where baseball is a very regional sport, not a national sport, right? You know, for me watching baseball, you know, when I turn on the TV, who am I watching? I'm usually watching the Rockies because that's the team I grew up watching, right? But and I don't know. I couldn't tell you who was on. Like right now, I can not. I couldn't tell you who's on Oakland right now. I have no idea who their best player, who the best player in Oakland is. I don't think anybody does, even Oakland fans. But you know, but most Oakland fans are going to be more inclined to watch the Oakland team, right? Or you know, the A's or teams in Texas are the fans in Texas are going to watch the Rangers or the Astros or whatever team is the closest to them, right? I mean, you think about. You know, the Braves are like the best example of that. The Braves own, if you're a baseball fan in Alabama, South Carolina, Mississippi, a little bit, Tennessee, and even into North, into Northern Florida, you're all Braves fans outside of, not outside of just Georgia, right? You know, if you're going to watch Atlanta Braves games, the same, in the same way where, you know, it's just like I said, everything is more consolidated, every not or decentralized, right? Everything is more spread out. Like you're gonna watch the team that you're more 
you know, in line with to watch, right? What's going to be the t- play team that's on the TV all the time? If you're a Yankees fan or a Toronto fan or you're a Minnesota fan, or like you're going to watch the team that's con- con- that you can consistently watch on TV. But that's what's so, I don't know, like frustrating. I think they need to fix these black. One of my biggest things they need to fix would be the blackout issues with MLB TV and the streaming services. Because if I'm, you know, if I don't have cable and that's, and that's, that's what I'll say is one of the big challenges against it is being held down by a TV, by a, you know, basic cable TV contract with these regional partners when more and more people are cutting the cord and, you know, how can you get people within Colorado or even in our region who don't have, you know, Xfinity or don't have Dish or DirecTV or anything like that. And now they can't watch AT&T Rock, Rocky Mountain because they're in the Rockies region on their streaming services. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges is, you know, they took the short-term big cash money payout versus, you know, the long-term sustainable success of keeping people interested and keeping people giving them an ability to watch the games that they want to watch. So I think that's the biggest thing baseball has pro- has is their biggest issue. I think if they could fix the blackout issues and I think, you know, you get rid, you get rid of the blackout issues. And I think that's the ultimate, this should be the ultimate goal for them. But I also think there's kind of an inevitability that less and less people will watch baseball unless you are in generally, generally invested into your team. And cause there's just so, there's so many options to watch. There's so many things to watch right now. Like, you know, hockey's in their playoffs, basketball's in their playoffs, you know, the NFL just had their draft and everyone else out. I think it's kind of stupid, but I, you know, people want generally are vent are interested in the draft. Right. So you've got to find a way to, you know, be better at the marketing. And I think you've got to be able to make it easier for people to access your product. And then that's when people will start coming back. And I think it still will. It's not going to be, it's not going to be nearly the levels that it used to be back 20, 30 years ago or even further back when there was less options. Right. So they'll, they'll, they can fix it. It's just depending on will they and do they have the desire to. So, um, awesome. Great episode. I enjoyed you guys' com- questions and I hope we can do some more of these in the, in the future. Just so I, I think you guys can, you know, I can talk a little bit more than just the guests. So, um, you can follow me at, uh, see Tom or Cole Thomas fast on Instagram and on Twitter. You can follow fast baseball, I uh, fast baseball on, uh, Instagram and, on uh, TikTok. fast baseball is also uh, fast baseball dev on Twitter. You can follow fast performance at fast performance. Co on Twitter and on Instagram. And you can go to our website, uh, fastcolorado.com to come learn more about everything going on here at the facility, everything going on. You know, you can come find ways to come train with us. We'd love to have you. And that's it. I hope you guys have a great rest of your week. We'll see you next Tuesday.